Well, good morning, First Free family. Happy Mother's Day to all, all of you mothers out there. And um, what a beautiful day we've got. What, uh, what a beautiful weekend. Uh, it came with a, a mother's joke. All right, so you ready for this one? Uh, one early morning, a lady went in to wake up her son. Wake up, son. It's time to go to school. But why, Mom? I don't want to go. And the mom responded, give me two reasons why you don't want to go to school. Well, the kids hate me for one, and the teachers hate me too. The mom laughs, and she says, oh, that's no reason to go to school. Come on, get ready. And the son comes back, and he says, you give me two reasons why I should go to school. And she says, well, first of all, you're 52 years old, and second of all, you're the principal. Thank you, moms, for what you've put up with. As a matter of fact, I thought it would be good for us to uh, just to honor our moms. If you're a mother and you're here, will you stand up? We want to give you a big hand for all you do to serve us. Come on, stand up, stand up, stay up. Happy Mother's Day. This morning, we're going to continue with our series through the book of Mark. This is our fourth week, and if you'll turn with me to Mark chapter 1, which we'll finish this, this morning, we're going to start in verse 21. And, and um, if you don't have a Bible, I just want to throw out a great tool that, that I recommend. It's uh, the Bible app, the YouVersion app. Um, you can go to your, your app store on your phone and download it. This is amazing. And, and I hope through the next few months we can start to explain some of the different tools that are on there. But millions and millions of dollars have been poured into this app to help people all over the world to have access to the Bible every day, anywhere they are. And it's a, it's a great app. Well, this morning, I am calling our message Authority and Priority. Authority and Priority. It's kind of got a nice ring, doesn't it? Matter of fact, let's, I want to hear you say it. Authority and priority. Authority and priority. So we are, we're going to jump into this story uh, in Mark. And this morning, uh, Jesus is kind of moving out of the situation where he had just called the four fishermen, James, John, Peter, and Andrew. And, uh, and now he's going to press in and begin to go through different territories in, in Galilee. And... Um, as Jesus begins to move into these different territories under the authority of God, in the authority of God, he began, begins to come in contact with the authority of Satan. And things get crazy. And they're even going to get a little uncomfortable, as, as we'll see. And before we do that, though, I want to I just give you a little bit more of my story. By the way, my name is Don Earhart, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And... Um, I think this story will help to set up where we're going this morning. I was raised in Anderson, Indiana. My dad was a plant manager for a General Motors automotive plant. We were a family of five, a good American family. And my mom put me in a Catholic grade school uh, starting in first grade. And so I went to our version of church uh, six days a week. And somehow in the middle of that religious daily system, something happened in my young little heart. And I became a young guy who wanted absolutely nothing to do with God. And if I could say it strong enough, I even pushed back on God. Uh, The only failing grade I've ever gotten was in one of those religion classes in those early years. And I failed it on purpose just to make a statement that I wanted nothing, nothing to do with God. And when I I look back on my 
the way I was thinking back then, uh, there were several things that I, that I can highlight. One is this. I really didn't like how God had made me. I was short. I was skinny. Uh, I wasn't as athletic as I wanted to be. I wasn't as smart as I wanted to be. And when I compared myself to the others who I thought were, were the, in, the in crowd, I didn't like what I saw. The other thing was I really didn't think it was what God was offering to us was that helpful. And in my, in my world, the only people that seemed to be excited about God were, were little old ladies and priests. And, and, and it just wasn't attractive to me. There wasn't, wasn't something about God that was, was attractive. And as I got older and began to develop in my thinking, uh, I, I came to the point where I can clearly remember thinking that I was thinking, I, I am the one who knows what's best for my life. And, and then I really didn't even have a need for God. I saw no need for God. And so that was my mental state as, an, as a young guy. Uh, and I don't know if you hear what was going on there, but there was a lot of I, 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 I. I was my authority, and I was my priority. And I'm not, a proud, not proud about what I'm, what I'm about to tell you, but um, I think it will help you to understand and see why I'm so enthusiastic for Jesus. Um, I started drinking alcohol when I was in, in junior high. I hated the taste, but when I, I drank, I felt free, crazy to be wild. And, and, uh, and so many weekends of my junior high years were spent around drinking with other confused junior high friends. <clears throat> when I was in ninth grade, after a day of of doing stuff I shouldn't have been doing. Um, I had to get back to my house. I was late, and I was already in trouble, and a friend loaned me his bicycle. This was before we drove, and so I rode my friend's bicycle back to my house. And several days later, as he was walking to my house to pick up his bicycle, he was hit by a drunk driver, and he was killed. And my world came crashing, crashing down. Uh, it, it was a lot for a ninth grader to handle who, who doesn't know what to do with his feelings at that time anyway. And, and um, it was a tragedy, and I was right in the middle of it. And the thing that I think that was most painful for me was I knew that I was at least partly responsible for my friend's death. And I can remember looking into that casket and seeing him laying there and, and thinking, there's, there's got to be more to life than this. Is this it? What, what's going on? And... And I began to wrestle, and I began to wrestle. Well, several months later, my parents were pressing me to get this bicycle back to my deceased friend's parents, and, uh, and I didn't want to go. I was dreading facing his parents, and, and another ninth grade guy heard that, that I needed some help. He was <clears throat> kind of a, one of the really popular stars of athlete, smart guys at our school, and... Um, He'd heard that, that I needed help, and he offered to go with me to take this bike back, in which he did, which was awesome. And um, his name's Jeff. He's now a, a doctor in, in um, South Carolina. What I didn't know was Jeff was also a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jeff began to befriend me, um, got me to read my Bible over time, um, challenged me, met with me, took me under his wings, and, and eventually shared the good news of Jesus. And uh, it was with Jeff as a ninth grader that I prayed the sinner's prayer and gave my life to Jesus. And it was then that my relationship with the Lord began. And things turned around. And so all of a sudden, in the midst of this process of my friend's death and, and my other friend Jeff sharing Jesus with me, um, my demeanor changed. And, and here are some things that I, I noticed happened. I realized that the grace and forgiveness 
that Jesus offered me was something that I wanted, and it was what I needed. Uh, and and I, I no longer thought that I was the best person to be in charge of my life. I, I had seen how that didn't work out so well. I knew I needed God every day. I, I had this, life was a mess, and I was beginning to see my identity in Jesus and not in my shortcomings, and I was so thankful. My thinking had flip-flopped. God had changed my perspective. I had moved from one who could have cared less about God to somebody who had a great need for God's grace and, and a great need for God's healing. And Jesus had now become my authority, and Jesus had now become my priority. And it was awesome. It was awesome. It's why I've spent the last bunch of years helping young people try to discover who God was, this passion God put in in my heart. But I don't think that my story is that different from from a lot of you. Sure, sure the circumstances are different. Um, The details are way different, most likely, but but the issues, I'm guessing, are the same. Can you remember, can you remember back when you didn't think God, what God had to offer you was that helpful? Can you remember back in your life when, when you thought you were the best person to be in charge of your life? Can you remember back when you thought you really didn't have, have a need for God? And what I found that it was through a time of great tragedy that I recognized I had a need. And, and I'm guessing for you it's the same thing. Um, in your time of a tragedy or great need, you recognized that, that you, needed, you needed God. I'm guessing that's part of your story too. But it's probably also true that some of you are sitting here and you still may not even think you have a need for God. And you've come, I don't know, maybe as an obedient husband because it's Mother's Day or a son or a daughter who's come because this is what you do or I don't know why you're here, but there, I know that there are people who are here who, who understand the difference between being in charge of your life or allowing God to have the authority and the priority in your life. And I just want to just say to you that I don't think it's an accident that you're here this morning. I believe God has brought you here because he wants to speak to you. I believe he wants to speak to you. He wants you to see the reality of his kingdom authority, and he wants you to see what his priorities are, to give you a glimpse of what it's like in his domain, in his kingdom, and how good it is. Well, as a recap, we've worked through this first chapter of Mark, and and, um, Mark says that, hey, we've got this good news, a new day from God. Jesus is here. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. And, uh, and, and then uh, Jesus comes, and he's baptized by John the Baptist, and, uh, and then he is sent out by the Spirit where for 40 days he is tempted by Satan. And as he comes back, he grabs four fishermen and challenges them uh, and, and encourages them to no longer be fishers of men, but let's go out and be or no longer be fishers of fish, but let's go out and be fishers of men. And that's where we left off last week, and, and uh, this morning we're going to continue on, and there are four different stories that we're going to go through, and Mark just starts flying through story after story, and we're going to try to fly through these, these four quickly too, and it all starts in verse 21, Mark chapter 1. Here we go. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus takes his four new 
disciples, these fishermen, and they head off to Capernaum, and on the Sabbath, they go in the synagogue, and Jesus begins to teach. Now, back in that day, the, the synagogue was a place where the, Jew, the Jews met in these different little, little towns. If there were 10 men, then they would form a synagogue in that area, and there was usually a scribe or the teacher of the law who was in charge of that synagogue. But if a, if a rabbi, an itinerant rabbi, came in, they would let him teach. And there was something that day when Jesus came in and they invited him to teach that, that set him apart from all these other guys. The scribes loved to communicate by quoting other rabbis. And so they were always quoting each other. He says, Rabbi da-da-da says this, Rabbi da-da-da says this, Rabbi da-da-da says this. But Jesus comes in and his teaching is, is so different that, that they're shocked by it. He would say things like this, and you, you might have heard this in the Beatitudes. He'd say, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery. There was this authority to him that was radically different than, than anything that they had heard. And so he showed his authority in teaching. But he also begins to show his authority in other, in other areas, so let's continue uh, in verse 23. So just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cries out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus says, Be quiet, come out of him. And the evil spirit shakes the man violently and comes out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed. They were all so amazed they asked each other, What is this? What in the world is going on? A new teaching with new authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits, and they obey him. And then we're told that news about him spread quickly over the whole region, the whole region of Galilee. Now, we don't know how many times this man had been sitting in this synagogue. I'm guessing he'd probably been sitting there for years and years, and nothing abnormal happened when the scribes would teach. But when Jesus, the Son of God, comes in and begins to teach, something crazy, something crazy happens. And Jesus is recognized, but he's not recognized by the people. He's recognized by this man sitting in the synagogue who is possessed by an evil spirit. And, and this, this man, um, possessed by the evil spirit, cries out. It wasn't just like a little whimper. Hey, hey, how are you, dude? I mean, he's like screaming. I mean, you can imagine this. What do you want to do with me, Jesus of Nazareth? And so he, this demon spirit inside this man even knows the city that Jesus came from. They knew it, he knew his hometown. Have you come to destroy us? Have you, so he knew that there was some history coming on here. Uh, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And then Jesus sternly orders the spirit to be quiet, to come out of the man. And the evil man... Um, or the evil spirit takes the man and shakes him violently, and then there's this shriek, and then, and then he's gone. I mean, can you imagine that? It had to be, like, scary. I mean, this, kind of, this wasn't normal activity in the synagogue. I mean, picture, picture this morning, sitting right next to you. <laughs> Something like this happening. I mean, it, would be, it would be scary, terrifying. Uh, we wouldn't know what to do. It's a little unnerving. Well, I want to provide a little, a little biblical background for this because I think when you see it, it'll help you understand some of the things that are going on. 
And, and I, I want to take us to three scripture verses. The first is found in the book of 1 John. John was one of these, these four fishermen who was with Jesus. And here's what he says in, in chapter 5, uh, verse 19, 1 John. He says, we are children of God and the whole world is under control of the evil one. The whole world is under control of the evil one. Paul says in Ephesians 2, he says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a reference to Satan. The spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. And Paul also says in 2 Corinthians 4, he says, The God of this age, which is another reference to Satan, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. In light of just just these three scriptures, is it that far-fetched to see that there would be someone in the synagogue who is actually possessed by an evil spirit? Scripture makes it very clear that, that Satan is at work in everyone who has not put their faith in Jesus, in everyone who has not put themselves under the authority of Jesus. When I was in my late 20s, I, I uh, had an experience that kind of opened my eyes to the, to the to spiritual world. I was a lumber broker. I worked for uh, two very wealthy people, and... Um, in the middle of that, I felt, I felt God pulling me toward, toward leaving what was a dream, dream job and, um, and, and moving into ministry. And so um, Ann and I prayed, and, and we made the decision to, to, for me to, go, to get, go to seminary to get my master's. And, and uh, so I had to tell the, this brother and sister who owned this company uh, what I was going to do. So I went to the sister's house. And their house happened to be right next to the door to the Ursays. This was in Indianapolis. And the Ursays owned the Indianapolis Colts. Very, very wealthy. And, uh, and so I go into this huge Disneyland complex, gated, and I go in there and, and get in the house, and I meet with Marcy and tell her, thank you so much. I've loved working for you guys. I've been able to, to make a great living and uh, been able to do so much. I've learned so much. I appreciate all you guys have done for us. But I really feel like it's time for me to, to move to something else. I want to pe- help people discover how good God is. I, I'm going to go into ministry. And, and here was Marcy's response as I told her this. Oh, Don, I already knew that. And I went, pardon me? Oh, I already knew that. I said, I, I, don't, I don't understand. And she goes, well, and, and what, this happened in June when I had this conversation. She goes, back in February, I went to a YPO conference, Young Presidents Organization conference, a, in Vegas, and I met with my psychic to get some wisdom on, on the business, and my psychic told me that you were going to leave and you were going to go to work for your church, which I eventually did. And I went, pardon me? And she goes, oh, yeah. She goes and pulls, opens this drawer and pulls out a cassette tape that gives you a little date of when this happened. Hands me the cassette tape and says, yeah, you can listen to it yourself. And so I just, I didn't, I didn't even know what to say. I get in the car. I pop in the cassette tape. Sure enough, it was exactly as she said. And uh, I drove straight to our church and met with our pastor and said, can you explain this to me? To which he said, no. 
But it was my first taste of, oh my gosh, there's something going on here way bigger than, than I can see with my eyes. There's something about the spirit world. And, and it's very real. And just because we can't see something with our eyes doesn't mean that it's not real. What we see he, happening here in this story is that Jesus shows up and the evil spirit quickly recognizes who he is. The important thing, I think, for us to note is that Jesus has the authority over this evil spirit, and he casts it out, and Jesus' voice demanded obedience. And then finally, Jesus didn't, wasn't interested in Satan's marketing plan, and so he uh, shuts the demon up and casts him out, and then we're told that people are just amazed, and, and, and then Jesus um, continues to spread the good news over the whole region. So that's the first story. Second story is Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law, and it starts in verse 29. Let's run right into it. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand, and he helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. And that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. So as soon as they leave the synagogue, they, they, uh, these four guys and, and Jesus head to the home of Simon and Andrew. One of the things that's interesting, I want to show you a couple of pictures, is archaeologists are pretty sure they know exactly where this, this was. This was a picture taken in the 1980s. It's all changed since then. But uh, on the left, you can see kind of those round, round structures. That is actually a church that was built in the 4th century uh, over what archaeologists are pretty confident was, Jesus's, or was Peter's house. Not Jesus's. Peter's house. But it is where Jesus spent a lot of time. And you can see on the far right side the the ruins of the synagogue. Now, I've got a picture of what it looks like today after it's been commercialized. (laughs) Looks a little different, but it gives you an idea of of the synagogue and and then the area that that they would have had to walk when they left out of the synagogue and go to to Peter's house. And here's just to give a bigger bigger picture. You can see in the next picture the Sea of Galilee in the background. So they're right there. They're right there by the water. And then here's an artist rendering of what Capernaum might have looked like back back in the day. It's fascinating to, to see that, I think. And so um, when, they, when they leave the synagogue and they head to Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever. And in Luke's account, we're told that the disciples actually asked Jesus if he would help her. And so Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law, and, which means, Jesus, or means Peter was married, which I think is, is again, a fascinating fact. And then we're told at sundown, and again, this is the Sabbath, at sundown, the whole town gathers around Peter's house. And, and, and if it's the Sabbath, you would understand why they would wait till sundown, because they would have, it was a day of rest. They would have been in the synagogue. That, that would be the only place they would have gathered in big groups. They would have waited until the Sabbath was over to gather. And so, but as soon as the Sabbath is over and the sun goes down, whoop, the whole city gathers, gathers at Peter's house, And then Jesus begins to heal many diseases, drive out many demons. And evidently the demons again knew exactly who Jesus was and began to speak that out. And Jesus won't let them speak. 
And so, so this crazy story happens. And again, Jesus is revealing his, his authority. He reveals it in his teaching. He reveals it in uh, healing and casting out demons. And, and there are crazy things happening. And, um, which moves us to, into our, our third story, where Jesus then moves on to show some of his priorities to us. He's showing some of his authority, but now he's going to reveal his priorities. And this starts in verse 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions, Simon is Peter, by the way, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, and driving out demons. So Jesus gets up really early. Evidently, it's still dark, and the, uh, the guys who he's with must not have heard him. He gets up, and he goes off to a solitary place where he begins to, to pray, uh, which isn't it interesting that, to think that Jesus had this desire to pray? I mean, he is the Son of God, after all, but there's something about this desire and this need to have intimacy with his father that drove him to uh, even lose sleep and go to this place, this place to, to pray. He's showing, he's showing his priority. And, and we, then we begin to sense a, a, a little tension happening. The tension between uh, Jesus um, working out his will and, and his authority and his way and the people starting to pull him in, a, in another way. And we see that as... As Peter says, well, all the people are looking for you. And it seems like these four guys are kind of getting sucked into the, the people's desires. And Jesus says, hey, let's move on. I, um, I, I've got other, other things. There are a lot of other people that need to, need to hear this news. And so they move on. That's the end of, of the third story. Which takes us to the fourth story, story, which starts in verse 40. And this is my favorite one of all. This one, this one I would love to have been there. A man with leprosy came to him, came to Jesus, and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. And filled with compassion, Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cured. So this guy who has got this skin disease problem, leprosy may or may not be the right the right interpretation of what was going on. But it was a skin disease that, that would have been called out in Leviticus 13 uh, as God gave Moses these directions for, for people what they do when they have these skin diseases. And there, it was a terrible plight for the people who ended up with a skin disease. They were cast out of the city and, uh, and they were not allowed to touch people, be near people. People couldn't touch them. As a matter of fact, they would even have to yell out as, they, as people came near them or as they got near people, unclean, unclean. It was a, a horrific sentence that, that people would have to go through uh, if, they had, if they had found this, this skin disease, or what, what is called leprosy here. And, and what's interesting is this man, he does not question Jesus' authority. He, he recognizes that Jesus has the ability to heal him, but what he does not recognize is if Jesus really wants to. It, isn't that just like, I know it's like me. I know God can do anything, but uh, can you really do it for me? 
That, that, is, that is oftentimes my rub. So the, the guy comes to Jesus, and uh, he's on his knees, and evidently he's close enough that Jesus can touch him, which would have broken all of the proximity boundaries that were set up. There's no way he's supposed to be that close. But this guy is bold, and, and um, he knows Jesus has the authority to make him clean, and he comes and, and he pushes in. And what's awesome is instead of Jesus calling him out for breaking the rules and for being an idiot, he, he says with compassion, he says with compassion, I am willing. And he reaches out and he does the unthinkable. He actually touches the guy. And then he proclaims, be clean. And through the words of his mouth, this guy is instantly healed of this leprosy skin disease. And there's a transfer that happens here. Uh, according to the law, Jesus is now unclean, if that's possible. And this man has now been cleansed, a transfer. But the story then takes kind of a strange twist and ends, ends kind of weird. Look at verse 43. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, the man goes out and begins to talk freely, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people came to him from everywhere. So we see, we see this story ending with... with um, a man who's decided that his will is more important than obedience to Jesus. And it has some, some tough repercussions. And in these four stories where Jesus is now living this new beginning, we see Jesus' authority at work. We see it in his teaching. We see it in, in his, his authority over evil spirits, over sicknesses, illnesses, and, and over um, the cleansing of this man who was leprous. But we also see it in his priorities. His priority would be to, close to, his, to be close to his father, to reach the masses with this good news. And there's a lot going on here. Authority and priority. So we, hear, we sit here this morning. We've got teenagers, college-agers. We have single people, married people, mothers, fathers, empty nesters. We have employers, employees, students. We're all sitting here. And I think the real important question to this is, how, how does this fit in our lives today, 2017? Well, I believe it all boils down to our posture toward God. Our posture toward God. Or you could say it this way. Who is your authority and who is your priority? Who is your authority and who is your priority? I don't know if you noticed, but in all four, four of these stories we just went through, the people who Jesus ends up helping were actually people who were in great need. They were trapped in a system of evil that was controlled by Satan. And when Jesus shows up, he brings in God's kingdom and he overcomes this kingdom that was under, under the authority of Satan. It was a new day. God's kingdom is at hand. And these people who got help, their posture towards God was this. 
we are in great need. And when you're in great need, your desire for freedom and your desire to be set free is really foremost in your thoughts, isn't it? Those who, who weren't in great need would not have come to Jesus. And maybe they would have come for a show at the most, but, but they weren't the ones who would come to Jesus with the desire for their needs to be met. And I think that brings us to a, a practical question that, that's for all of us, that applies to all of us. It's this. How does their posture in great need compare to your posture toward God? Are you running towards God or are you running away from God? Are you running towards God or are you running away from him? I think when you recognize your need for God you, and you know that he has the authority to do something about it, you run toward him. And, and oftentimes, if you don't even recognize your need, you, you're probably running away, running away from him. And if you're here and you're broken and you're empty and you're hurting and you're in need, there's actually good news in that. And the good news is that you're positioned perfect for a God rescue. Your position is perfect for a God rescue. It's all about your posture for God, toward God. And in light of authority, in light of authority, are, are you allowing yourself to be under God's authority, which will set you free from the influence of Satan? Or are you choosing to be your own God in control of your own life? which actually keeps you under the influence of, of Satan. And in light of priorities, do you, do you make it a priority to, to spend time with God? Just the two of you? Do you make time to listen to his voice, to recognize it? Do you make reading his words something that you, you value? Do you try to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and hear what he's telling you? Because this is what Jesus is modeling, us, modeling to us here He's showing us his authority and he's showing us his priority. And when you recognize your need for his guidance, it's, it's not a chore to spend time with him. It's a joy. Some 20-some years ago, I, I made a decision in the midst of having little kids at home and not finding time to do anything. I made a decision that if I, if I was going to spend time with God daily, I, I was going to have to get up early. And so... I made this decision 20-some years ago to get up earlier in order to spend time with the Lord. And, it, and God has radically changed my life through that time. I still do it to, today, even though the, the kids are grown up. Uh, and and I, I, I can say, in, in a strange way, I actually have a really good relationship with God. I know God. Jesus has made that possible. And by spending time with him, it, it's, it's my favorite time during the day. And it's happened as I've got to know him, and, and, and it's possible for you also. Authority and priority. So in closing, I have, I have one more thing that I want, I want to just kind of throw out to us this morning. And so instead of focusing in on these detailed four little stories, I want to back out to the, to the big picture. The big picture, what's going on. We'll get to this in months, but, but um, when Jesus gets to the point where he, he is crucified and then he, he rises from the dead. We're told that for 40 days he went around showing himself to be alive and, and teaching and eating. And, and um, uh, at the end of that 40-day period, 
uh, Jesus ascends to heaven. And before he ascends to heaven, he has this discussion with, with his disciples. And here's how it went. Here's what he says. He says this. All authority in heaven, in heaven and on earth, belongs to me. Isn't that, isn't that, that's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? All authority in heaven and on, on earth belongs to me. Therefore, he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And then, and then he closes with this, this line, and I love it. He says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the ages. I am with you always. Church, this is, this is our mission from Jesus personally. So he grabs the hand of these four guys, these four fishermen, and he's calling them to be fishers of men. But as the story goes, he also grabs our hand and is calling us to be fishers of men also. He's calling us to take this kingdom authority that he has given, authority over everything in heaven and on earth, and to walk out into our world and to pierce the darkness that's owned by Satan in this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our mission. It's our mission. And all around us are people who are desperately trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And Jesus has called us into this to reach out to people who are in need and to tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ. So this week, this week, starting right now, go in the name of Jesus and bring God's authority to those in need. Bring God's kingdom into this enemy's territory. Go in the authority and the name of Jesus. You are not alone. Jesus is with you always. And the whole world is under the power of this evil one who's propagating a message that God is not good and that he is untrustworthy and he's not even real. And it's a lie from the pits of hell and from the author of lies. Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth and on earth and we get to know him. And he's calling us out into this world to bring his truth. It's awesome news, isn't it? It's great news. Well, I want to close this morning by having a stand and, and just pray the Lord's Prayer together. This is a prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. And see if this, this prayer doesn't ring a little different, ring a little different for all of us here this morning. Here's what he says. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. It's great news, isn't it? It's great news. God is good.